This morning, we continue our ser- uh, series called Destinations by talking about this whole thing about what is, where does God want us to be in our lives? We began last week by talking about departure, where we needed to start from. And as we talked about departure, we talked about in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, it tells us some things about where we start from. We start with taking all the stuff that we have and placing on the cross, all the baggage that we have in our lives. We talked about the baggage that we have in our life, all the different things that hold us back from being who God wants us to be. And we talked about taking that baggage and actually placing it at God's at the foot of the cross and leaving it there and allowing God to work in our life. You know, the reason we say that is because at the end, the very end of Romans chapter 8, there's a couple of verses that tells us, kind of gives us, you know, okay, this is what Romans chapter 8 is all about. It says this, and this is what it says in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 38 and uh, 39. It says this, at the very end of this message, it says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's saying to us that nothing should be able to separate. We should have confidence. We should have confidence in in who God says he is and what God says he'll do. We need to have, God wants us to live a life of confidence. But so often in our world today, sometimes I think we have a bad rap about confidence. We believe sometimes that confidence is something that, uh, I think because of uh, bad connotations, we kind of, in a Christian world, push it aside. We say, well, we don't want to be too confident because that's not, how do we deal with confidence and humility at the same time? Because we see examples of confidence in our world going to the other extreme, cockiness sometimes. You got, you think in a sports world. I mean, years ago, truthfully, one of the things that just bugs me, this is one of those things that, you know, you everything that bugs you, nobody has anything that bugs you, right? One of the things that bugs me is that for years and years in the sports world, when people played sports and they did something well, they just simply walked humbly off the field and did it. They, they made a tackle, they got up and, you know, went to the, went to the huddle. Uh, in a basket, you know, they made a basket, they just got, now, I mean, every time you do something, you have to, yeah, you know, or, you know, or making some kind of dance. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, everything becomes a celebration. It's kind of crazy. It's overkill nowadays. It's just kind of, uh, there's, it's kind of a cockiness nowadays. It's not really confidence. And so we see that in the world. But God wants us to understand that that's not what he's talking about. He wants us to have the confidence to trust and believe that what he says is true. And he wants us to live a life of confidence. And, and it's kind of like what happens is, though, is when we have all this baggage in our life and when we have fears, we talked about these last week, fears and guilt and, and all the things that we have that, comp- that keeps us away from God and having a close relationship with God and trusting him, what happens is, is we kind of put ourselves in a spiritual penalty box. Now, I'm not a big hockey fan, but I do know something about hockey. And I know that in hockey, when you do something wrong, when you, uh, when you have something that you don't do right, they put you in something called the penalty box, right? And based upon how, what, how bad it was, what you did, is how long you have to stay in the penalty box. And, and so, you know, while you're in the penalty box, you're kind of worthless. You're just sitting there, just, just kind of waiting to get out of the penalty box so you can go back and help your team. But the issue is so often in life, it's so often, play, so often we place ourselves in this spiritual penalty box because we condemn ourselves. We feel guilty. We have all this baggage from the past that holds us down. And the last week we talked about in Romans 8, chapters 1 and 2, it says this, now, Therefore, because Christ is in our life, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the, life, uh, the, law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. 
And so some of us have this problem. We still have this baggage in our past, uh, and we, we have guilt, and some of us have fear and abandonment issues. Some of us have, uh, uh, we don't pray right, or we think we don't pray enough or pray the right words. And so we have all these issues in our life that cause us to be separated from God. But as it goes along, actually all of Romans 8 is talking about how to deal with this problem that we have, this, this fear of God, this fear of, of not measuring up. And so it starts off by saying, last week we talked about that, you know, yeah, we don't measure up. But God has not condemned us anyway. He's given us the way to deal with ourselves and deal with life and have a relationship with him. And there's no condemnation for those who will trust and take their baggage and place it and give it to God and say, God, I can't do it on my own. And so that's kind of where we were last week. Now, this morning what I want to do is talk about specifically about the next step that Paul talks about or another part of this whole process of us realizing that we can have confidence in God. How, do you build, how does God build confidence in our life? How does that work in a real sense? And so God, uh, Paul begins to, in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, he begins to talk about what it means from there, the rest of the chapter, what it means to live life in the Spirit, live a life that where Christ has come into your life and God's Spirit lives in you versus what it means to live life without Christ without God's Spirit, without the power source in our life. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with them to Romans chapter 8. Or another option is in your bulletin, there's a sheet of paper that says has all the Scripture that we're going to look at today. You can use that as well. This is the NLT version, New Living Translation as well, and it's a place to take some notes. But also what I would encourage you to take something else out of your bulletin as well. It looks like this. It looks like a sheet of paper with it kind of looks like a suitcase on there with a couple of lines on there. And I want you to do something with that this morning. And we're going to do something with that uh, later on in the service this morning as well. Um, because the thing is, is that what I want you to think about right now is this. What is the things in your life? What are the, what is the baggage that you have in your life? What are the fears you have in your life or the guilt you have in your life or the things you wish you could do better but you're not doing? And because of that, it causes you to have doubts about, you know, does God really love me? All those things. What are those things in your life that causes you? What is the baggage you have in your life that causes you to have total confidence in God? That's what I want you to think about today. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down either now or sometime during the message today, I want you to write down one or two things that causes those issues in your life. What are the things that causes you not have total confidence in God or to feel that God really loves you the way he, the way he really does love you and he wants you to have the confidence in him? And we're going to do something with that later on in the service today. It's because God wants the issue of Christian confidence to be settled so that uh, we can get on with the task of living for him. Because a lack of confidence in our salvation, a lack of confidence uh, or an uncertainty of the power of Jesus in our life or a waning assurance of God's love, these are things that are not signs of spirituality. They're things for a recipe for disaster. They'll, they'll allow us to, to be ineffective and to turn away from God and to be tuned and not be tuned to God's presence. So how do you deal with that? What do you do? Well, Paul begins to talk about this. Today, as we go through Romans chapter 8 over the next several weeks, started last week with verses 1 through 4, today is the longest group of verses, the, the largest group of verses we're going to deal with. So I'm going to go through them fairly quickly today. Uh, some weeks we might cover three or four verses. Other weeks, this week's a lot of verses here, verses uh, 5 through 17. So let's look at those today and, and see what it has to say to us. What Paul begins to talk about in these verses, though, verses 5 through 17, after he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, he begins to talk about what it means to live life that God's spirit, when God's Spirit lives in you. And the verse, first few verses, verses 5 through 8, talks about the first level of living that we have in life. And this is the level of living which says you don't have the Spirit. 
you don't have the Spirit. He contrasts and compares what it means to not have the Spirit of God, which means you're not a believer, versus being a believer who have this power source, the Holy Spirit living in our lives. And so this, this is the first level of living. He com- uses some com- contrast, some comparisons, contrast here. It says in verse 5, it says it, it contra- contrasts in the flesh or in the spirit. Now, some of your translations might use the word in the flesh, and some of it uses sinful nature. It says the same thing. It says this, though. Those who were dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Basically, those of us who do not have Christ in our life, basically our thoughts are about things other than God. And, 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 may, and we sometimes find ourselves, our default setting in life, those of you who use computers know what default settings are. It's the thing your computer always goes back to when you don't know what else to do. Um, your default setting in life, in a real sense, is to think of things that basically is about you. It's, it's all about you. And, but it says this, and contrast this, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. What it's saying to us here, the first contrast and comparison here he's saying to us is that the person that does not have God's Spirit living in their lives, generally their default setting, not generally, always their default setting is on things other than God. Now, once in a while we might think of something that might please God, it might just be, but it's not something that's naturally part of who we are. And so it tells us that our bent of life is in that direction. Then in verse 6, it gives another comparison and contrast. It says it's about death versus life. It says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Basically, you know, isn't the fact that all of us die uh, physically? True. The only way that you and I will not die physically is Jesus Christ comes back before we die physically. That's the only way that's going to happen. But it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. And it says this, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life into peace. Spiritual death means you have no peace in your life. You're constantly in turmoil in your life. And that's what it's saying that people who live outside of the Spirit, who do not have God's Spirit into their life, this power source in their life, what happens to them? Sometimes people can be moral, even religious, but they don't have spiritual life. It becomes a ritual, and it leads to nothing but just, just agony. Sometimes, you know, we're going like, oh, man, I have to do that again. And we're talking about going to church. Or I have to get up and pray. Or I, you know, whatever it is, it becomes just a religious ritual. It's not life in the Spirit that gives us life. It's, it's something that kind of leads us to, to be drained of life in a real way. And so that's the second thing, the second comparison and contrast here. And he says in this thing about people who don't have the Spirit. The third thing he says in verses 6 and part of verse 7 is talks about this contrast of war with God and peace with God. It says, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature, talking about the person without God's spirit, the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Not just neutral, it's hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Our natural bent, our natural nature in life without God's spirit in our life will be to do what we want to do, not submit to God's laws, even though we know sometimes that they're best for us. But those who who have trusted Christ enjoy peace with God. While the unsaved, the person without Christ's spirit, uh, is at war with God constantly in our lives. There's this battle going on in our lives, so there's no peace. And then verse 8, it says this, it says, it's this thing about pleasing self or pleasing God. It kind of wraps it all up when it says, that's why, after all these things, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. The unsaved person, the person without God's spirit, lives to please himself and rarely, if ever, thinks about pleasing God. The root of the selfishness is, is this attitude of it's mine 
versus, uh, or I will versus thy will, God. And so the unsaved person does not have the spirit and lives at what, the, what Paul calls the lowest level of life, at least a level of just life without the spirit, the, the inability to really live life in a fruitful and helpful way. Now, what we talked about last week was about this whole thing of having confidence in Christ, that there's no condemnation. When you accept Christ and give him your baggage, uh, God does something in your life automatically. And this is what it begins to talk about in verse 9. It's, this is the second level it's where you have the Spirit. God says this in Scripture clearly, clearly, that when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when he comes into our life, automatically what comes into our life is the Holy Spirit. Everybody has as much of the Spirit as they're ever going to have, instantly. The issue, though, is learning to live and, and to listen to the Spirit who's in your life. Because what the Spirit gives you, the option you do not have before is a choice. The choice was, you, you, you just basically before lived by your old nature. Now you have the choice of living by God's Spirit into your life. And he describes, Paul describes it in this way in verses 9 through 11. He says, now though, now that you have God's Spirit in your life, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then in parentheses it says, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. One of the evidences that we belong to Christ, that we have given our life to Christ, is the presence of God's Spirit living within us, witnessing to us that we're a child of God. When the, Jesus came into our life, he brought the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, now we can't see it, but it's often called, the, the Holy Spirit's often called the comforter. That which gives us comfort, leads us, helps us to live life at peace with God. And then in verse 10, it says this, and Christ lives, if you, if you have the Spirit, and Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of your sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Now, folks, this thing, thing I have on my, I don't know if you can see it or not, this is really small, the microphone I have. See it right there? Okay. It's cool because it used to be I had had this little clunky when I held in my hand. And then for a while I had a Madonna microphone. You know what I'm not, remember those? When she first had the one that was, came around here, it's like a big old, big old uh, ball on the end of it. It was kind of stupid looking. And uh, I had one of those for a while, but now we've got these really cool microphones that are almost invisible. But this, the, the thing about any of those microphones, they had to have something. They had to be wired to a power source, but anything that's wireless has to have a power source in it. And, and back on my back, attached to my, the back of my belt here, is a little pack. And in there, there's something that causes that, this, this, this whole thing to work. What's that called? This is not hard. Battery, thank you. I knew you could answer that. And, and it's a great, and it's a battery. If I did not have the battery in there, would this still be a microphone? Yeah, it'd still be a microphone. Just didn't have any power, it wouldn't work. Okay, that's the way it is. Now, in our life, before we have Christ in our life, we're still a person. But when Christ comes into our life, he gives us a power source. He gives us the ability, the Holy Spirit, to come into our life and to allow us to have the power to do some stuff and to go beyond our default mode, which is selfishness, to choose to follow him. He gives us that power in our lives. And that's what it means in verse 10, 10 where it says, And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of the sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. And then in verse 11, it says this about this whole thing about living where you have the Spirit in your life. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised 
raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. When we look at that, we're going like, okay, that's talking about when we die, we go to heaven to be with God. Well, yes and no. Because he's not talking about, the Greek's very specific here, it's not just about the future, it's about now. And so, you know, remember before it says when you're not in Christ, you're dead. It doesn't mean physically dead. It means spiritually dead. It says now, because of Christ living in you through his spirit, then what happens is he begins to help you to have experience life in a new way that you've never experienced before. D.L. Moody, the uh, evangelist who uh, Moody Bible College up in Chicago is named after, famous evangelist, described his conversion experience when he said yes to Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God came into his life. He describes it in this way. He said this, I was in a new world. The next morning the sun shone brighter and the birds sang sweeter. The old elms waved their branches for joy and all nature was at peace. Now, literally, was any of that true? Did everything in the world change because he had... No! But he began to see things in a different way because God's Spirit lived in him. It caused him to see and experience life in a new way that he had never experienced it before, to have confidence in who God was. And see, that's what the second level of living is that Paul's talking about here, this living that once Christ comes into your life, the Spirit comes into your life, you have the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God living in you, now you have a choice. You have a choice to following him. You have the choice of beginning to think differently. You know, but I don't know about you, but I think it's really cool about how sailboats work. Sailboats are driven by the wind, right? Have you ever been on a sailboat? Driven by the wind. But the cool thing about sailboats is this. The wind, even though it'll push the boat in this direction, you can adjust the sail and adjust the rudder in a certain way that you can actually go against the wind. So what it's saying to us in a sense, that's the way the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life, is he leads us, you know, the, the wind of the world, the, the direction of the world will lead us in one direction if we just allow it to just go with it. But because of Christ coming into our lives and his spirit coming into our lives, it gives us the ability and the power to adjust our rudder, to adjust our sail so we can sail against the wind and do the things that, God, that would please God when it's different than what the world is telling us all the time. So we can think differently. We can also live differently. We have a choice. It said death or life. We choose to live life that, that builds us up and fills us up instead of life that just pulls us down, to be constantly in agony about life. And, but the biggest thing I think that changes in our life is we can relate differently. When we have the Spirit of God living within us, it begins to let us to relate differently in our life. When the leadership changes in my life, instead of me running things, I let the Holy Spirit do it, and it amazes me how often that happens. For instance, the gifts that I have, they don't disappear. The gifts that God has given me don't disappear when I become a Christian, when I let the Spirit come into my life. But what happens is they've begun to be used in a greater way. The money that I have, it doesn't, I don't ignore it. I start to use it for God's glory. I relate to money in a different way. Um, the successes that I have, it's, it's still, God wants us to live life fully. It says live life to the full. And the successes that I have, he uses that success to glorify himself in the world. Even the fun that I have. You know, some people believe that when you become a Christian, you become a believer, that there's no more fun. You ever heard that one? I mean, if I become a believer, I can't do the stuff I used to do. Probably that may be true. But the fun that I have, at least now I can remember it. And I have no regrets over it. 
And truly, it's more fun than the fun that the world calls fun sometimes. The thing is, is that I relate to everything, not just people, but I relate to money, I relate to success, I relate to the gifts I have, I relate to everything in a different way when God's Spirit comes into me. That is what Paul is saying to us, because you have the Spirit in your life, you have a choice. And that's the second level of living. You might think, well, isn't that the highest level? No, that's not the highest level because God wants us to continually come to the place where he wants us to live at the highest level, which he talks about in verses 12 through 17. And the third level of experience uh, is really what I call the confidence zone. The place where we have, can, can, can live, where it talks about the confidence that we have at the end of Romans. This is where confidence really happens. Um, and this is where the Spirit has you. You just don't have the Spirit, but the Spirit has you. There's a difference in what that means. Let me describe that here and let Paul describe it for us here. In verse 12, it says this, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, um, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. It says now that you are in Christ, you don't have to go around doing what you know everybody else does. You have no obligation, but you can allow the Spirit to to." Uh, uh, to, to lead you in a way. You, you have that power in your life. You can make those choices. You can say, God, I want your spirit to lead me. And then it says the next part, verse 13, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. If you continue to just, not that you will, you know, you're securing Christ, but the thing is you can still live like, like the devil. You can choose to still do that. And let me tell you what will happen if the spirit lives in you and you have the choice, but you're constantly in conflict. What does conflict do to your life? Does it make you live life at peace? No. You have any joy? No. Some of the most miserable people in the world are Christians who simply don't understand that God wants you to continually grow and live more and more in him. It gives you freedom. It gives you peace. He doesn't want us to be conflicted. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. He's talking about, if you want to be confident in life, here's the way it begins. He began to realize that the only way that you really be confident in life is to live by the dictates that God would have for you. See, not only does the Holy Spirit make us responsive to God, but he gives us the power to make real change in our life. Let me tell you what that means for us and how we can be confident that God's living in us. Um, When the Spirit of God begins to have you to have us to own us and and it really becomes the the power in our life when the spirit is at work in us behaviors in our life are things that we begin to ask ourselves about we say things like well this stuff needs to be dealt with uh i need to change spirit of god help me to repent of this and and to become more like jesus even though it might be hard or painful And, and one of the confidence building indicators that the spirit is at work in our life is that we have this desire to change that we have a desire to grow and we have a desire to turn from sin. If you have none of those desires in your life, then God's Spirit's obviously not working much in your life. But an indicator that, that God's Spirit is in your life that we see in Scripture is that God, we have this desire to grow, to grow, desire to change, and desire to turn from our sin. We also, another indicator in our life that God's Spirit is working in our life, that He has us, is we see, we see the Spirit's presence when we notice the fruit that's promised in Galatians chapter 5 when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit uh, growing in our life. This takes time. You know, the people are, uh, farmers right now are planting, if I understand correctly. This is the time of year when they plant. Now, let me ask you a question. This is not a hard question. It's about as easy as the last one I ask you. Uh, how 
Is, is tomorrow that stuff going to, if they plant it today, will it pop up tomorrow? Be fully grown? Nah. It takes a while. It's going to take a few months for this stuff to grow and to produce and to, and, and to work. In the same way, the fruit of the Spirit in God's life, some of us, you know, we get, become a believer, we, get, we say God's Spirit's in us, and then we immediately want to change. We want to be like, you know, everything. You know, if you're impatient, all of a sudden I'm patient. Doesn't work that way, dudes. Okay. And dude, that's just, I don't know. Uh, the thing is, I don't know if that's a word at all. But the thing is, is, is we get to understand it's a process. But if God's Spirit is working in us, we'll begin to see fruit grow. We'll see increased patience. We'll see deeper love. We'll see more consistent self-control. We'll see, we'll have more peace in hard times. Those are all things that the Spirit will allow to work in our life to help us to become more of what God wants us to do. We can be confident when we see those things working in our lives that only the Spirit of God can make that happen in our lives. We discover joy and meaning in using our our Spirit-given gifts to minister to people in the church and the community. We don't feel pressured or coerced to serve. We do it with, uh, with joy. And we, we have an increasing desire and boldness to tell others about God's love and to serve them in ways that will show the presence of God in the world. All these things are evidences of God's Spirit working in our life, of being clear. And that is when the Spirit has us in our life and He's working uh, in, in, a, in a real way. That's the first indication that the Spirit has you. The second one is in verse 14. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. One of the things that we need to understand is when the spirit is truly working in our lives, the spirit has a hold of us, we won't always be, uh, be afraid about everything. You know, it says in Scripture that perfect love drives out fear. God's love for us is perfect love, and when it's God's spirit lives in us and he's guiding us and we're allowing it to guide us, we will take risks and we won't be fearful about them. Now, we don't do stupid. The Spirit will not lead you anything opposed to God's Word. Let me just tell you that. That's a little disclaimer here. But the issue is that the Spirit of God will, you won't have a, a, a fear, you won't feel, be fearful in your life. Matter of fact, it says in the next couple of verses, it tells us even further this thing about this. It says this. It says, instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Two things it says there that kind of confirm some things about how we, that we have God's spirit in us and God is, God's spirit is controlling us in our life. First of all, we have this new relationship with God. I, I don't know how to use words, but words tend to be very specific in our, in our language. For instance, we use the word father a lot of times. The word father is kind of a formal word, right? But we use the word papa or daddy in a different way. Do we not? I mean, I don't call somebody, you know, father maybe, you know, when I'm not real close to my dad. Papa, daddy, or some other intimate, more intimate term is something we use. And it says here, this word Abba, this word Abba, father, is is a word that literally in Greek means papa or daddy. It says that we have this different way of relating to God. We see him not as this father who's off there, but we begin to process of when God's spirit has really got a hold of us in our life and working in our life, we begin to see God as as, as as a papa or a daddy, somebody we can be close to. He's still God, but we feel close to him as well. 
But then right before that, it says something else that's very, very key to this as well. This thing that gives us confidence. It says, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. Now, this word adoption is something in our culture. We have to understand the cultural context that Paul was talking about here because the word in our culture has certain baggage. But in this culture, Paul was talking to the Romans. He was writing this book to the Romans, and he was writing to, using words that they understood. And it's clear in this passage that what he was talking about and talking about this whole thing of letting God's spirit work in you and building confidence in you, he had this understanding of what the word confidence or the word adoption meant in that culture. In Roman culture, the father in Roman culture had total control over the family. Literally, the father owned the family. The son could death, the son or the daughter could, even if they became adults, as long as the father was alive, he had control over their lives. Total control. But when adoption would take place, it was a legal thing that took place. If someone is to be adopted, it was much different than it is in our culture because what happened was is that father had to go through this whole process of legally separating himself from his child and actually the new family legally accepting all the legal obligations and everything that went along with that adopting this new child. And the consequences of the adoption in the Roman culture was this. Uh, William Barclay in the New Testament commentary says this. He says, there were four main consequences of adoption in the Roman world. First of all, the adopted person lost all rights in his old family and gained all the rights of the legitimate son in the new family. I mean, it was literally as if he had never even existed in that previous family. Secondly, it followed that he became an heir to his new father's estate, even if other sons were, were afterwards born. It, it did not affect his rights. He was inalienably cohere with them. It means that he, you know, he was full, fully vested into the family. Thirdly, in law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. Completely wiped out. For instance, all debts were canceled. I mean, this, remember, once again, this adoption could take place as an adult in that culture. Because basically the father who still had control over the family, if he wanted to, don't know why this would happen, but if they wanted to move to another family and be adopted into that family, what happened was is that all of the person's debts were canceled who, once they were adopted. He was regarded as a new person entering into a new life with which the past had nothing to do. And then fourthly, in the eyes of the law, he was absolutely the son of the new father. I mean, literally, it was this clean break from nothing in my past matters anymore to now I have a new life. Do you understand the difference in how they, they saw adoption in that culture? And then Paul says here, and he says this to us here, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you, that's the idea I had, as his own children. See, a second indicator that should increase our confidence is the awareness that we are loved and adopted children of our heavenly God. And adoption was not an easy process then. It was a clear break. The last thing that, it's, that Paul talks about, he says, if with that being the case and we've been adopted in a new family with all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities, he says this in verse 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. 
And you're going like, why did he put that in there? I like the, you know, getting all the good stuff, adopted, lose all my stuff from the past, but how about the suffering? Well, he says, you know, if we're going to be totally immersed, totally driven by God's Spirit, totally who God wants us to be, we need to understand this, that a third source of confidence that we are truly followers of Jesus is our attitude and disposition when we face times of suffering and hardship. Because Jesus faced times of suffering and hardship, right? That's what last week we talked about, this whole thing of Easter not only then, but in his life. The way a Christian responds to the reality that following Jesus involves uh, sacrifice is radically different than the perception of those who are not yet his followers. You see, most of the people outside the family of God think in terms of minimum requirements needed for getting into heaven. I mean, when I talk to people so often, they would like to just live, live as they please, uh, be comfortable, and still escape hell. That's just the way it is. Minimum requirements. What do I have to do? But the thing is, is when the Holy Spirit fully has us, and when God's Spirit's living in us and we're living this life of peace and joy and all the things that God wants us to be and have total confidence in God, we realize that part of life, that part of living in a broken world, because remember what we talked about last week, there was two types of life, life uh, living uh, with, this, with the law of sin and death. Are living with the Spirit who gives life. There's two options. But we still, even though we may live under the, the law that, uh, the, of the Spirit that gives life, we still have the law of sin and death still evident in our world. We live in a broken world. And because of that, there will still be suffering. And we'll still deal with this because of people around us and because of just the way it is. But the attitude of the person who has truly been, has God in their life and has the Spirit fully in their life and the Spirit fully has them is the person who says, well, I don't care what the cost are to follow Christ. I'll follow him wherever he leads. It doesn't matter what he wants to do to use me. I'll face suffering, embarrassment, and offer my very life for the one who gave me this life. When we have that kind of attitude growing in our heart, it's an undeniable mark of genuine spirit control in our lives. Now, let me ask you, where do you want to be in life? You want to, you want to kind of like, you know, minimal requirements? Is that what the deal is? Or do you want to really experience confidence? You know, wake up every morning and go, God, I don't know what I'm going to face today, but today, because I have you in my life, because your spirit's living in my life, I can be confident you'll help me through this day, no matter what it is. Is that the way you want to live life? I think most of us do. And the only way that we can do that is we, what we need to do is we need to give to God all the baggage that we have in our life, all the baggage that we, that we carry around with us and we keep trying to give to God and give back and try to give to God and give back our fears, our guilt, our, our, you know, all the things that cause us from doubting that God really is who he is and does what he says. We need to give it to him and just, just leave it there. So this morning I ask you to take this piece of paper, pull it back out. This piece of paper that has on it looks like a suitcase. And I ask you this question. What is it in your life? What is it in your life that causes you, that causes you to not have full confidence in God, that causes you to doubt God, that causes you to, to not live fully the life that God would want you to live? What is it that's causing you? What is it that you identified in your life right now? There'll be other things. But what is it that's, that's doing that? And, and, and this morning, I want to symbolically, as in a service, our band's going to come forward at this time. And as they come forward, they're going to actually, come on, band, you can come on up. They're going to actually um, 
You see a bunch of stuff on the cross already. This, this was from our first service this morning. We have some nails up here. And what I ask people to do this morning is, is we're going to have a song that's going to be played. You're going to sit in your seats. And what I want you to do is just bow your heads. And if you feel like God, if you have something in your life that you want to give to God and say, God, I want to give this to you because I don't want it to become between me and you anymore because I want to have confidence in you, I want, to symbolically, I want you to symbolically give that to God today by coming to the cross and just taking it and putting it on the cross. I'll tore mine in two this morning. You lay at the foot of the cross if you tear it in two. Um, and do that this morning. And then go and sit down. And then at the end of the service, we'll have a song of celebration to close our service today. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.